I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Phil Wolf of the Nefris Initiative. You're listening to Snakes and Stogies. The only podcast dedicated to fine tobacco. All things reptile related. And the people who love them. As part of the Repetoculture Network. All right. There we go. This is 107, right? Yeah, 107. Yes. 107. This is episode 107. Snakes 107. and Stogies. Uh, I am Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. I am Phil Wolf. Uh-oh. Your mic. Is that your mic or my mic? I'm just talking Does anybody else hear that? I do. Okay, it's totally it's totally Phil. Pull it, yeah, adjust your your XLR. There you go. Oh, good lord! Nope. There we go. Nope. Don't touch it. <laughs> Testing one, two, three. There you go. It's perfect. It's as long as you literally don't touch it. <laughs> don't touch it. We're good. Yeah. Okay. Well, yes. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, the worst part is we're not going to edit that out. That's just that's nope. that's how the show starts. Yep. Okay. How we roll. Uh, so this is episode one hundred and seven of Snakes and Stogies, which is brought to you by. Puget Sound Pythons. You can't see their shirt. It's hanging right here. I readjusted the whole studio thing today, so everything's a little different. I'm on yeah. a different wall than I was before. Um, and it's also brought to you by blackboxcages.com. I believe Jen and Clint are going to be watching tonight. I don't know for sure. She mentioned Excellent. she was going to try. So, Stand up. Um, do you have your order placed? Not only do I have my order placed, but They've been kind enough to cater to some interesting ideas and concepts I have for some future enclosures that are not anything normal. So, and I was actually talking to Jen today about doing some kind of risers on casters because they do those awesome little caster plates that you can put on the bottom of their enclosures. So things can wheel around and move right. around. And you can have some flexibility. Well, I was talking to her about doing some interconnecting stuff. And, you know, we've got some plans in the woodworks. Like like a train? where they? Like, I mean, we'll, we'll keep it hush-hush for okay. now. But let's just say things will... have to explain will, that to me later. Things will be uh, uh, very easily mobile and accessible. Uh, yeah, so check them out. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube uh, for Puget Sound. And then blackboxcages.com. And check them out. Also on Facebook and Instagram, they're doing awesome stuff. I am planning to do a review of my uh, the V70 rack I have from them. I just haven't gotten around to it, so it's gonna happen. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm very, very excited, and uh, they're making me some some really cool stuff. And I was told not to say anything just yet because they want to iron out some bugs first, and then. Once it's like, okay, this is what we're going to do, then I'm going to spam it everywhere and be like, ha-ha, look what I get, kids. <laughs> as far as tortoise stuff goes, I know Tyler was bugging them for a couple 
modifications to some cages that he's ordering in the future. So they're working with him on some neat stuff too. And you, you saw, well, let's do this before we keep talking about black box and how they're awesome. Let's introduce our guest tonight. Jeremy Thompson from the Connexus cooperative. Yeah. Appreciate you guys having me. Hell yeah, brother. Thank you. And this is a long time coming, man. I'm very excited about this episode. So pumped to be on. Um, so you you go to Tyler's house frequently enough. He sent me a video of some tortoises in a black box enclosure. And, dude, it's awesome. I mean, oh, obviously, yeah. they're little tortoises. They, they've got some growing to do. But how's it look in person? Yeah, basically, a lot of the young ones that we raise up, whether it's hingebacks or radiateds or whatever else uh, we're working with, um, we raise the young ones closed chamber, basically, you know, in a – yeah cage similar to a black box or a black box cage. Um, the ones at my place are just ones that I built years ago that I'm looking to, to upgrade. But Tyler grabs some black box cages. He's using them at his place. And then um, we've got a joint facility where we work on some other stuff and we're using some of their cages there as well um, for some lizards and, and tortoises. So he was bugging them for... Um, a couple ideas on caging that would help for, for baby hinchbacks Cause we like to keep them individually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. Yeah. No, but he's, been, he's been happy with them. Tyler's the man. He is. He's, uh, he's a couple weeks ago. He's one of my favorite people, man. He's an awesome dude. He Legit. is awesome. I really, I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, we, we linked up at Daytona and, and started chatting regularly and, and stuff like that. You know, it's just, he's, he's a fun guy to talk to and he's, he's always upbeat. So for sure. Yeah. No, he, we said, uh, we're bad influences on each other. We're too yeah. close in proximity <laughs> and it just goes crazy. So I know our wives would say the same thing. Uh, yeah. the people, people we work with say the same thing. Yeah. It's two people that are passionate about it. Just, Yeah doubling down on it so jay i gotta show this picture man i can't get over this picture Uh oh Oh, how how freaking awesome is that facility yeah that was uh basically marissa and i moved in the last year and a half um to yeah a place that we we purchased and um yeah that basically our first home had a suite building that was ready to rock um and it took us just doing the inside so it was a metal building just bare metal uh with a concrete floor and we got power to it got some spray foam rent plumbed it um you know put up studs all that kind of good stuff and and then painstakingly did the floor i had a local friend of ours matt phillips shout out to him he helped uh help me get the floor done He's done that kind of stuff before and then hand painted the logo on there. Wow. So, That's yeah. hand painted? Yeah, so it's traced. I have no artistic okay. ability Still. at all. Still. Um, how how big is the like diameter of the circle? 14 feet. Um, oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. So basically, um, we used a projector to project it onto oh, yeah. the wall. Um, taped a bunch of poster board together, traced it, cut it out, and then and then painted it on the floor um, and then, you know, clear coated over it. So how big is the building like overall? 
It's a 40 by 30. Um, so it's pretty good size and it allowed me to kind of separate, um, at least in my process of how I'm going through the building and servicing stuff, my captive born stuff from my wild caught, Mm -hmm. um, you know, my wild caught stuff at this point has been with me a long time, but you know, I still have my process of going through like the youngest, newest babies first, and then working my way to the, uh, the nuclear tortoises as Tyler would refer to them as. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You were the one that started the Conixus co-op, right? Yeah. So the Conixus cooperatives, myself and my wife. Um, and then, um, when we went to the turtle and tortoise preservation group conference, myself, Tyler, David, Andrew, and Tom started the Conixus working group. So that's the working group is the collaborative group of people. Um, you know, it's the five of us started it, but there's a bunch of members at this point that contribute to it. Um, but yeah, that's the awesome, co-op man. was, uh, yeah, it's just inspired by a good friend of mine, David Mifsud, who, you know, passed me along my first hingebacks and the rest is history. So what is it about that genus that, that sort of drew you into those specifically? They're tricky, honestly. Um, I've been asked that before and really it comes down to, yeah, they're difficult. And, um, I've worked with a lot of different reptiles. Um, I'm only 30, but I started when I was teeny tiny. Um, and yeah, I, I wanted to work with something that I was going to struggle with. And even, you know, with the Conexus cooperative rolling and, you know, I'm producing hatchlings each year. I'm still struggling through each season, something with it, um, especially wild caught animals. So yeah, selfishly it's, you know, it keeps my interest. It's tricky. And, um, mm-hmm. I don't think I'll ever get it figured out completely uh, with each species, but you know, one year you got one species dialed in and they're cranking and it shifts the next year. So aside from them just being cool like it's an inquisitive neat group of tortoises that's underworked with um Mm -hmm. oh yeah and yeah like the combination of all that stuff uh and getting the chance to do some field research out in south africa with them like that that was the nail in the coffin as soon as i saw them out there yeah it's crazy man i I always like them because i mean i'm a i'm an african junkie and dude they're they're just a unique cool species and like i'll be honest but I'm, I'm torn between them and leopards like i really like leopards too and i'm not a tortoise guy by any means but i really like them and i really appreciate them and just meeting you meeting tyler and like tyler telling me about how the imports just like monitors like they need to build trust they need to yeah. build an, an acclimation and you know I got them for my mom because my mom wanted a cool, smaller tortoise species. And I mean, she just has, we're 99% sure it's two males and they're just pets. But, you know, Tyler asked me a bunch of questions like, hey, man, did your mom do this? Did your mom do that? And he was just being friendly about it. And I was like, yeah. He goes, dude, what my mom did, she unknowingly was building the trust and making them comfortable <laughs> and doing all that cool stuff that, you know, we look for and, and, and try and, you know, get to. And my mom was just chilling, playing with turtles. <laughs> so, that's it's awesome. cool, man. You know, you guys have, have educated me a lot on them. I know Justin, I can speak for Justin on that too, man. Awesome, awesome genus. How did 
how did she end up with the specs? I just so I was. Was it just completely <sighs> random? Like, oh, these are cool, or was it? Well, it wasn't. Well, I mean, it wasn't yes like intentional no. to go get the the, the specy eye. No, well, no, it wasn't intentional, and. My mom always had aquatic turtles. She had sliders, and my mom had a big pond in her backyard. Uh, it was, it was one of the ponds that you were supposed to put in the ground, and she never did. She put it on the concrete patio by the pool, and it made it easier for her because she could, you know, drain the thing and hose it out, yeah. and you know, do the, the standard aquatic maintenance, and not have to worry about, you know, it popping out of the ground or anything. And because uh, Florida does that, it's weird. And mm. eventually, one passed away, and then another one got murdered by some kind of mammal in the middle of the night and uh she had one left so she gave that one to a friend and she's like you know i think i really want to get into tortoises but i don't want to do anything gigantic you know and i was like well there's a lot of african species like these hingebacks that are really cool and i said you know what? i'll just keep an eye out and you know if i see them i'll grab them for you and underground had just got in i believe it was a mozambique shipment yeah. and there was like 60 or 70 of them and I just went through and I picked two good looking ones and I kind of looked at their shells and I at the time I really didn't know what I was looking at. And I was like, well, this kind of looks like it's a male and this kind of looks like it's a female and, you know, hey, screw it. And I think I paid, oh, I think I paid like 150 bucks for both of them. And, Sounds right. Yeah. And uh, and she was ecstatic. And dude, she loves those freaking turtles. <laughs> so that's it's awesome. Fun. It's fun, man. And I got her all the. You gave me all those stickers too. And she, yeah. she's a, she's a high those. school teacher, and she put all the all the Connexus stickers all over her her work computer. And like, there's her students are in high school, and they're like, "Are those are those turtles?" And she's like, "Yes, yes, they are." Nice. nice. <laughs> so I, yeah, awesome. I put that that that's the stickers I got from you guys on my uh like my Daytona travel humidor that I bring with me that holds you know like a freaking box of cigars. Sweet. It was cracking was me awesome. up because that was like the best sticker out of the out of the lot was the, the two Knicks getting it on. Yeah, that sticker was a friend of mine's idea. He's the one that helped me make my initial like group of stickers when I first launched the Knicks Cooperative um, as a good friend of mine, Ian, out in London. And, you know, he went digging through some of my photos and basically made digital versions of them and tweaked them way too many times for me um and he's he saw that photo and he's like oh we're doing it for sure nice nice yeah and yeah. dude and like the co-op logo is a fantastic logo too you so know the, I... yes the logo the zombensis shell um in the center is a digital form of an exact um specimen that i found in south africa which is kind of neat that's super cool man super yeah. cool Yeah. Look at that smile, man. Look at that smile. Happiest <laughs> dude in the world. One thing um, that I was thinking of when you mentioned your mom and, and the specs is that, um, you know, she basically, the way that she set them up and established them, you know, ended up being like a great way to do it. And those are thriving with her. And that's a, a story that we actually hear a lot um, is, you know, the one or two uh, of a certain species that someone got years ago and they thrived with that person and those things are still around um which i think is pretty cool because you know turtle guys will get these things and struggle with them and kill them all off um, or they'll you know grab a group of 50 and throw them all together and hope for the best but yeah you know sometimes it's the person that gets just one or two and 
really, you know, puts a lot into them as pets and they end up doing great for them. So that's neat to hear. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I can't wait to show her this too. So she'll, she'll love it. And I, I got her the shirt and everything and she, she loves it. It's her favorite shirt. So awesome. I can't, can't thank you enough, man. Absolutely. Are you wearing a Nefris initiative shirt? Yes, sir. <laughs> nice. Look at that. I love it. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Love it, dude. Super cool. Got to support. Uh, so I was just thinking, Smitty, we, we didn't even cover cigars for the night. Should yeah, we, I know. We were so... We were I know. Discombobulated with the whole microphone debacle. So you want to put the uh, the hinge backs on pause for a second? Did you have questions yeah. from, from uh, uh, tobacco? Any tobacco questions from last week? No. Okay. I am smoking an H. Upman... AJ Fernandez Heritage. Never had it before. Came back from the expo. It's pretty good. It's an it's an AJ for sure because it's just everything. There's no. So when it comes to AJ Fernandez stuff, most of it's pretty solid. My main issue with it is it all usually tastes very similar, and it's all usually it's not very nuanced. It's very much like in your face, aggressive flavor wise, strong. And uh, this is no exception, but it is good. I don't know. It's, I like it. Nice. That's good. I, uh, I too, am smoking something I've never had before. So I'm going to butcher this name, but La Instructora, and it's the Perfection Invicto Perfecto. And I just, it caught my eye because it's got a, like a Jackson Pollock painting oh, as the dude. band. Oh, that the guy. <laughs> Ooh, the guy that owns that company came into the shop one day. Okay. He is a tool. I'm sorry. <laughs> to hear that. He's he was he's he he drinks his own Kool Aid very hardcore. He's the he's the one percent of the one percent. His words. Okay. Uh, complained that our bathroom was upstairs and that he had to go upstairs to use the bathroom. Like just really goofy stuff. The cigar, like I had one of their one of their sticks, and it actually wasn't bad, but okay, I was I was fairly turned off, you know, just oh, with our brief interaction. I was like, this. Well, uh... see, what, what bothered me was is that my tobacconist told me what it was. I couldn't for life of me remember, and the the name is embossed on the band, but it's so yeah, you crazy. Can't you can't. You physically can't read it. Um. But I just I love Jackson Pollock and this like this just turned me on, man. I was like, hmm, all right. Dominican, you know, Habana, a little bit of Habano in there. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna give it a whirl. But yeah, it didn't disappoint. It was the one that I had was solid, you know. I don't can't remember a whole lot about it specifically, but it was good. Fair enough. All right. We Back. had a question earlier, oh. real quick. Do you still yeah. keep Impressa? So I still own Impressa. But I don't keep them. Um, they're out on loan with folks that I trust. So those are, if hinge backs are touchy, Impressa can be more touchy. Mm-hmm. So uh, although it's my favorite tortoise on the planet, um, I kind of just had to make a decision on working with those guys or working with hinge backs. And I chose to work with hinge backs and sent those on their way um, to people who are specializing in Asian stuff, but cool. cool tortoise. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. 
So, Smitty, you're going to jump back onto the website? Uh, yeah. I'm looking. I'm flipping through pages right now without showing everybody. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, currently there's really Homey Honor are kind of the main one, right? As far as what people are have, like what's imported, what people are keeping. Yeah, so Homiana, Speckeye, Erosa, and Nagui are mm-hmm. the four that are prevalent in the United States. Um, most of those aren't being imported anymore. It's mm-hmm. just kind of what's still around. Um, but Specs are, I would say, the hardiest out of the group. Um, Homiana, I think more people have Homiana than anything else because they're produ- they're, a lot of people are producing them. And homie, are the, are the largest or no? Erosa are Erosa. at least okay. the largest of what you know we work with here. There's a Malagasy form of Zombensis called Domergui, and those guys can get pretty big, but I have some pretty big Erosa. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, Erosa are awesome. You know what's funny is like looking at the... Uh... Nogui, like this is what the the shell reminds me of the live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies back in the nineties. Yes. <laughs> yes, like that's exactly what their shell looked like. <laughs> yep, I love that. So Nogui haven't been imported since like two thousand or two thousand one, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's basically a story of a bunch of folks who kept one or two around and now they're in the hands of folks that are producing them. So that's kind of a neat project that survived only because, you know, 50 people kept one or two alive and those got in the hands of people who are cranking them. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Look at that shell. Yeah. That's so freaking cool, man. Some Bensis are so neat. Um, Yeah. That one there was my first that I've ever hatched. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah, the working group, definitely a a shout out for them. That's what's up now. And um, yeah, it's really the only way I think to keep hingebacks around long term is through the working group, through, you know, a collaboration of zoos and institutions and you know, private keepers like myself um, working together to to keep these guys around, whether it's gifting them to each other or, you know, I've sold some of my offspring as well. Um, just making sure that they end up right now in homes that, you know, where people are going to try and reproduce them. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything cooking right now? I do. Um I just got some homiana eggs last night. and Excellent. Yeah, this is kind of the start of the season, basically. So I've got seven or eight clutches on the ground from every species that I work with except for Nagui. No Nagui females of late yet, but the rest of at least each label. On. Nice. So, yeah. And All right, so how many eggs is a typical clutch? And how many clutches is a typical season? So females will lay, and this is, you know, across the five species that I uh, have at least females of. Ballparks, yeah. Yeah. um, Females are laying a nest to three nests. So one to three nests. um, And 
like Zombensis sometimes will lay a single egg. Um, wow. Where Erosa, I've had lay 10 eggs. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, Erosa are the outlier. Erosa are the ones that are going to, you know, lay <clears throat> three to 10 eggs most of the time. And the rest of the genus, at least of what I work with, are going to lay like one to four. But okay. Erosa are the outliers. They're the ones laying big clutches. Nothing else does that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, at least in my experience. Yeah, the homie, the homie on it cracked me up, man, because they're just like the most bizarrely shaped. Yeah. Like it's almost, yeah. I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like a like a raisin. Like they got left out in the sun too long and they kind of just like shriveled up a little bit. And <clears throat> You're making yeah. them sound lovely. <laughs> I love the big flanges on the front too, though. I mean, they're really cool. Like that's one of the reasons I like them is because they look, you know, they look different. They're not like a... You know, a lot of the other tortoise species you see in the hobby that are just sort of your standard dome shape, like these guys are. Yeah. They look awesome. It, oh, yeah. it always, they, the genus always reminded me, and this is going to sound cockamamie, but it always reminded me of the stealth fighter because there's yeah. no right, there's no right <laughs> angles anywhere. Yeah. You know? you know, and like that's just it. Like these turtles were designed to repel radar. They were. <laughs> I buy that. Yeah, dude. So is is this homiana in particular? Why is it? Is it just because it's wet that it's more orange? Like it has more color going on? Yeah. So being wet definitely helps, but they come from a wide range. So mm -hmm. you know, most of the ones that we get in are just brown with very little markings, but. You know, and that one looks wild caught, but a lot of the captive born, you'll get some really gorgeous growth in the captive born animals. Um, so, you know, even brown wild caught adults that have no pattern, like most of mine, will produce some really stunning captive born babies. Yeah, those are so cool. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Man. Yeah, that's an Arosa. The one on the top that you're clicking now. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, it's like wood almost. They're they're beautiful. Oof. Zombensis. Yeah, that's a little zombensis. Now, how closely related are these to, uh, like the leopards? Um, not very, but I couldn't tell you exactly how closely okay. related. Yeah. I think they're, they're more closely related to like Homopus, the pad lopers, um, than they are leopard tortoises. Hmm. But you know, what's interesting is who's that guy? Um, <laughs> yours truly. <laughs> That's a little Labatsi. Yeah, I remember I was talking to Tyler about I wanted to use that for the magazine. I was like, I wanted to use that for the cover, but I think he said they he didn't have access to the like the high res version of that. I think Flora, uh, Flora Elo, um, she's the researcher that I joined in South Africa. She took that photo. Um, if you all want to use it in the future, I can help get the the better version of it. But yeah, she took that photo with a good camera. But honestly, if you're using one of her photos, it's not that one. She's got some great ones. No. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, so the last issue of the magazine is when we did a, a feature on the uh, the Homiana. Yes. Yeah, that was a great article. Um, anybody who hasn't hasn't seen it should go check it out. It was Tyler Brooks's article on Conexus Homiana and his success producing them, keeping them, establishing them, all that. I'm trying to find. I, I, I just found the Instagram picture. It, it was a Labazzi uh, from... Oh, it doesn't even say. I think it was Highveld, but I could be mistaken. Um, I'm trying to get the guy's Instagram so that I can show it to you guys because he's a South African guy who's like a, a incredible field herper. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, his page is not loading on the computer. Is it Courtney Hundermark or Tyrone Ping? No, no. I would. I def- this guy's name is Louis Daniel. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You you heard him? Yeah, I follow him. I'm trying to get this picture. This picture is incredible because the thing's neon red. Dang. You know what I'm going to do? We're going to do this old school here. Dang, that's gorgeous. I mean, this is making it look really crazy. Obviously, the, the, the camera on the stream is making it look redder than real, but... Yeah, just the thing is incredible. Let me see if I can get it to focus and not be so radioactive. There we go. Nice. Yeah, mm. that's a beautiful Labazzi. A lot of those, you know, aren't quite that nice. That's a real nice one. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Those are unfortunately not really in the hobby in the states. Um, there's a couple people in Europe working with them, but yeah, that's the target species that we were focusing on in South Africa for the Super. research. How long yeah. were y'all there? I joined Flora for two and a half weeks. She was there for six weeks. And the first time I went, I went with David Mifsud um, for three or three and a half weeks. So I've gone twice um, and I want to go again. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome, man. That's what yeah. I hear, man. Once you go once, you get hooked, you know? Yeah, it's just different seeing them out there. Um, and I'm also, you know, a snake guy and I love chameleons and that kind of stuff. And, um, obviously there's a ton of awesome herbs out there from snakes to the South, uh, or the Ratipodian, the South American or South African dwarf chameleons. Mm -hmm. Um, those things are amazing. I love them. Oh yeah. Yeah. That and, uh, like China and the Western Ghats are pretty much at the top of my bucket list herping spots but there's definitely plenty of spots in africa you know across that entire continent that would be awesome to check out oh yeah like our, our buddy mike clarkson just posted pictures in the snakes and stogies group uh chat he went to, like central africa right because he saw some yeah some uh atheris nishii which is like one of the coolest species of snake in in my opinion that's like a personal favorite like that color scheme and just look can't be beat and he was posting pictures of some that he saw and I was like that would have been so freaking cool to come across some of those oh yeah <clears throat> really any of the any of the bush fibers would be sweet to, to see so where in south africa did you did you guys do your research so we were focused basically in northeastern south africa um for labatsiana northern um so we... like close to the mozambique border so we went basically from that border all the way over to the Botswana border. Okay. Um, 
you know, and then we went, and this was with David. So, you know, we basically hit Hinchback territory, which is Northwest and Northeast South Africa. And then we drove down to the Cape to meet up with two friends and to herp a little bit down there um, to do non-Hinchback stuff. Cool. And then with Flora, it was basically just the Kinexis Lavazzi on our range. So she got into, um, you know, the Mozambique border before I got there with another person that joined her, but we spent most of our time, you know, in and around the Botswana border, um, tent camping and, um, yeah, just out in the field 24 seven. She was, you know, working on trying to close some sampling gaps that she's had the last couple of years. Awesome. Yeah. And did, was Labatsi the only one that you guys found or no? The only species you found or no? Um, so we crossed into some specs because that range overlaps, but um, Labatsiana range doesn't overlap with Zambensis or Natalensis range. And if it does, it's a tiny little amount. Um, mm -hmm. So, but they definitely overlap with specs. And, um, you know, when I say overlap, specs tend to dominate the landscape and Labatsi are in these little pockets. Okay. So she's still working to figure out whether they actually overlap, like whether you can find both of them on the same, you know, acre plot of land. Sure. Um, but so far, you know, it's like the spec I range is this big bubble and then you have Labatsi pockets. Um, huh. Is that where, like, is she learning about like natural barriers or is it because of human roads and stuff or all the above? So initially folks said, you know, or, you know, the history books said that Labatsi like rocky outcroppings, but she quickly found that that wasn't the case and that, you know, maybe one population, you know, was amongst these rocky outcroppings, but it's more of a grassland tortoise uh, and specks are also grassland tortoises. So um, the range in Botswana of Labatsi is this big bubble with little speck eye um, blotches. And in South Africa, it's the opposite. Um, however, the speck eye range goes all the way up to Kenya consistently. Yeah. So, you know, it's something that she's working on that, you know, we may never know the answer to, or maybe not for a very long time, but, you know, it's interesting to see those pockets in South Africa because, you know, is specs kind of moving in and pushing Labatsi to these little pockets of extremes? And will that continue west into Botswana where Labatsi right now are the big bubble? Um, or, you know, is it kind of happening the opposite direction? Um, you know, I'm sure Flora could explain it better, but yeah, um, yeah it's neat to see the little pockets um, because when you see a, a distribution of a species, you know, you kind of assume, you know, they're everywhere in this bubble, but that's not necessarily the case. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, it sounds yeah. fairly similar to, to Alterna and stuff in, in West Texas where they're sort of like Island, like with these cuts and stuff, you know, they're, yeah, they have a, like a wide range, but it's much more concentrated to like these smaller areas where there's just pockets of them. Okay. But uh, was there anything when you were there that you took home in terms of like 
data and information that you applied to, to what you have? So on my first trip, yeah, I mean, you definitely take home. Honestly, I went home feeling guilty on how small my enclosures were and my enclosures aren't small um, compared to most keepers. Um, right. But, you know, you see someone out there utilizing multiple burrows and, you know, doing its thing and you're just like, you know, I can do a little better um, substrate, all that kind of stuff. I paid attention to, but on my second trip, Flora had put out a bunch of data loggers all around the Lavazzi range. And although I only have one Lavazzi, you know, I have specs as well and they overlap. So, you know, having access to data logger information that's telling me at ground level at tortoise height, you know, what are they experiencing? She also, um, you know, she's doing some work with, you know, camera traps and, you know, data loggers and burrows and all that kind of stuff that she'll eventually publish so that, you know, it's out there for everyone to, to utilize and learn from. So, um, yeah, that's some stuff that I, I took from it. Very cool. Yeah. That'd be really interesting to see what the difference is as far as the microclimates from the burrows to, you know, outside of those. And, yeah. uh, it's amazing what you can learn from from the simple stuff, you know, temperatures yeah. and humidities and and things like that that those loggers keep track of. We've been talking about them a lot lately. Just you know the little govies that we use in our cages and stuff, just to keep track of what's what. And it's you learn so much from simple simple numbers, you know. Absolutely. Where have you guys have you guys gotten out in the field, um, even if it's somewhere in the United States? And where did you guys enjoy? <clears throat> We'll go first, Smitty. I mean, Phil's been out a whole lot more than I have, but I mean, we went to West Texas back in what June? Yeah. Together with some of the NPR guys, and that's the extent of of my herping outside of here in South Carolina. So, yeah, and even the... then, I don't do a ton when I'm here. <laughs> okay. I'm planning to change that this year, but do it. It's uh, unfortunately, I have never left the continent, but I have been lucky enough to to do a fair bit of traveling in our country and try and herp as much as i can when i go um west texas was incredible because it's i mean i'm in south florida so there's there's several different ecosystems but for the most part there's only two seasons and even if you are in one type of ecosystem it's feet if not inches to the next one so going to like west texas and seeing of, of wide diversity of ecosystems mm-hmm. was just incredible. And I can only imagine you going to South Africa and seeing all those different ecosystems in one landscape. Like that's just, that's a major goal of mine. Like <laughs> the dark continent is high on my list of places to herp and go. So I'm very, very envious, but uh, I think people that go herping, that don't get to go herping a lot. If you, if they haven't gone in a long time or they don't get to go often or they've never gone, it's, it's so overwhelming because you're in, you're, you're amazed at what you're seeing. You're soaking everything in. And then, like you said, your second trip, you're like, okay, now I got to remember to check this, check that, write this down, photograph that. Like, even when we went to Texas, like there's five guys with five, cameras going off at once whether it be you know real cameras or cell phones 
at how many times I said, man, I should have took a picture. Why didn't I take a picture? You know? Yeah. But yeah. we were lucky enough that we had five of us there to, you know, swap photos and, and share that, those memories like that. But, but yeah, man, Africa's pretty awesome and so I yeah, need to, I need to go. At the same time, though, it's almost like one of those things where it's like when you go to a concert and people are all watching the concert through their phone instead of actually watching the concert, you know, it's yeah. like, I'm not, yeah. I don't need to document it to show everyone else I was there. I'm here to enjoy it. Yes. I, yeah. I was just about to say, yeah, that's something that I had those moments after my first trip where I took so many photos and I was like, I'm only going to be here once. I'll never do this again. And, um, you know, with two of the tortoises, the one and only Lavazzi that I found and the one and only Zambensis that I found uh, on that first trip, like I really remember those and I wasn't focused on like just get photos, but like a lot of the rest of the trip, like you're so much through a lens of either your phone or a camera that, you forget to kind of stop and like enjoy where you are and what you're doing. And the second trip was kind of the opposite. Um, you know, I was lucky that you know Flora had the the nice camera and she's the researcher and she's taking quality photos and she's there for work. And I was just there to help, um, whatever that looked like. So I really did get to kind of take a step back and, Soak it in. that trip yeah soak it in and realize like dang this is fantastic and um you know also to go with a researcher who like knows her shit who um you know could teach me a lot about you know why when we went there the first time why we struggled to find stuff um you know david and i did our best and we had help from a friend paul who's south african um but you know, having someone that spent five years there, you know, we're going through areas that are the very outer boundaries of, um, of the range where we don't even know if they exist and mm -hmm. we're finding them. So, you know, yeah, should we just did real well having somebody who really knows her stuff and, you know, can look at habitat and go, no, this isn't right. That's cool. Yeah. How many, yeah. how many other species did you encounter living harmoniously with a tortoise oh man um leopard tortoises are everywhere literally really yeah it's like flies um that's crazy you, every time you see a tortoise shell moving you get excited and 99.9 percent .9 of the time it's a leopard tortoise so um yeah i love leopard tortoises on my first trip i was just excited to see a tortoise because we did struggle to to find some hinchback tortoises at first, but on my second trip, I was tired of them. <laughs> Cause is yeah. there no serious competition between them and the, the Kinexa stuff? So what's interesting is that, uh, hinchback tortoises tend to hide. They're in the burrows. They're kind of like a box turtle more than anything. So if you think about like a box turtle, like a Florida box turtle living in habitat near, a gopher tortoise, there's not much, um, overlap in, um, yeah, I guess in their needs or resources. Yeah, that makes like, sense. yeah box turtles yeah. are eating a little bit different stuff and a hingeback isn't quite a box turtle, but 
you know, there's millipede exoskeleton and snail shells and all that in their feces where like a leopard tortoise is eating the grasses and, you know, your, um, you know, weeds and stuff like that. Um, hingebacks definitely are eating some weeds, but they want animal protein too. So they're in a burrow coming out for two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. And otherwise they're not moving where leopard tortoises are on the move most of the day those things are running around um tanks we did find a male leopard tortoise trying to breed a female lavazzi which was interesting (laughs) yeah yeah i mean he was mounting her and breeding her but he was a lot bigger classic tortoise maneuver yes yes the one time we found a leopard and we're very happy to find a leopard tortoise that's cool yeah has there been any cases of integrate like in the area or no so i'm not aware of any with uh leopard tortoises but um flora's doing some genetic work on tortoises that looked like one species and then her you know dna came back and um you know the gene code that she's using says it's a different species uh, or some that just look like of an integrate between two like one that you're like it's flat like a specs but it's patterned like a zombensis and it has oh. a head like a zombensis um you know and a friend of ours um gabriel who is he was in thailand and now he's in england he has a group of zombensis that he was able to reproduce um in thailand and he has a single female belliana and out there he's not able to get more belliana right so he he paired that up just to see if they could produce uh, an integrate or a hybrid and he did hatch a baby a viable baby from them wow very cool yeah has flora anyone else done any sort of tracking as far as how much movement is happening with with any of the connexus that she's been so yeah so um yeah the state of the world put a damper on her field research the last year year and a half but she is working to find south african students to do a radio tracking project um it's not something that she could do she's not there enough but um yeah she's got a contact out there she also has a friend in botswana that's considering doing some research on his property yeah, because you so, had mentioned going there and seeing, you know, talking about enclosure size and stuff like that. It made me wonder if if they're highly, you know, maybe not all Conixus, but, you know, certain ones, be it specs or, or something else, maybe if they're they're using more space on a daily basis or are they, do you think they're kind of sticking to more of a smaller radius of, you know, a couple hundred yards or even less than that day to day? Specs seem to be utilizing burrows. Um, we don't really have evidence that they're digging any burrows and I've never really seen mine dig a burrow. They'll kind of like shake down into a wallow, um, in captivity. Um, and I use little half clay pots that they go and tuck themselves in, but they certainly utilize burrows and, um, she's, yeah, we've got evidence that they're utilizing the same burrow over and over again. Um, but then there are days where they don't go back to that burrow. So, you know, we don't know what that tortoise is doing, but 
um, you know, whether it has a couple burrows it uses or it just decided to, you know, go under a bush or something that evening, we don't know. But hopefully, hopefully we'll get some radio tracking data from them. That's super cool, man. Super yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah, I love it when people are are focused on a species that maybe doesn't get nearly as much attention as others and, and really devoted to it and finding out every bit of information they possibly can about them. Totally. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and any of that stuff in South Africa, that's that's Flora Elo's work. Um, so I don't take any credit for that stuff. I was just helping, but she's doing some sweet stuff. And um, yeah, and some of her work, uh, when you showed my website earlier, under the education section, she was nice enough to let me host some of her um, publications on there. So for folks who are you know, interested in that side of what I'm doing. Uh, you know, some of Florida's work is published there. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely, we'll share that link as much as we can. Cool. Thank you. The uh, Just going back to locality stuff, just from sheer curiosity, uh, talking about how, like, Natalensis is way farther south, obviously. Is there a... Uh, is there a gap? Like, does some of these northern species, like, does it bleed into Transvaal or Free State, or is it just kind of hug the border to the north, and then there's a gap of nothing, you know? Like yeah. No, so, no, no specs or uh, uh, no Conixus land, I should say. Yeah, there's a gap between, like, the padlopers um, and the tent tortoises and the hingeback tortoises um, where, I, you know, there's just leopard tortoises. So... Yeah, I guess there's not a complete gap. Um, and then as far as the hingeback range itself, the four species that exist in South Africa, um, it's kind of like where one stops, another starts. There's not a big gap. So you're not, you know, driving for a couple hours where you're not in hingeback range when you're in in hingeback range. Um, cool. So, yeah, like one bleeds into another. It's like Labatsi from the West and Botswana bleeds into Specs, which bleeds into Zombensis and then going South, it goes into Natalensis. Very cool. So at least in South Africa and then Zombensis and Speci go North, like into Mozambique and into Kenya. And then how many subspecies of Zombensis are there? Um, so there's only, I mean, there's the nominant, so Conexus zambensis zambensis, and then there's one subspecies that's Conexus zambensis domergui, and that's the only hingeback that's not, well, <laughs> there's there's one on Zanzibar um, okay. that's not yet documented, but, um, and I say one, there there's a group. Um, right, right. And then, but, you know, as far as what's recognized, domergui are in Madagascar, it's the only Conexus that's not on the mainland. And that's and Zombensis is the only Conexus that has subspecies? Yes. Okay. Yes. Everything else is full species. A lot of them before the Kindler paper that was published in 2012, like some more genetic work that was done, a lot of them were Conexus belliana, Nagui, Conexus belliana, even further back, it was Conexus belliana speci. But um they got elevated to full species. Cool. Yeah. And like looking at that paper, um, it's another thing that, um, you know, people should go check out 
the the paper basically showed you know the history of you know what species likely came first and which are the most recent and you know which are closely related to each other and it was kind of neat like a lot of people as i said thought Labazzi were like the rocky outcrop dry arid tortoise but they are actually most closely related to the forest species erosa and homiana and when genetically and when you look at their shell I'll try and find the photo for you guys. Um, but when you look at the shell of a Labazzi, it's got the scalloped rear marginal scutes. So around the back of the tortoise, it's got scalloping, where the only other two hingeback tortoises that have that are Arosa and Homiana. And everything else, you know, that it's around, like Labazzi is surrounded by all these grassland tortoises that don't share that. Um, and genetics show that. Labazzi are not most most related to the ones that are near it, but they're most related to the ones that are way up north in Ghana and Togo and you know um, the Congo. Just kind of and then cool. and then that that's super cool. I actually I just got the photos you sent me earlier. Sorry, I'm cool. gonna, I'm no gonna throw them up while you dig that one out. Yes. Um, and then the ones the Zanzibar ones is that? Do you think that's a? Do you personally think that that's a human transplant or do you think that was something that just happened naturally it's probably a human transplant and the domer guai are likely a human transplant um like in my opinion from you know what i've heard and the people i've spoken with um yeah and you know what's interesting to me personally is that um most of the tortoises, like say Pyxis, right? Pyxis, um, the spider tortoises that are in Madagascar are these tiny little tortoises, um, you know, that sleep for most of the year and are active for very little periods of time. And they're utilizing like no food and calories where, you know, say that Domergui were brought from the mainland and they were a transplant. Those tortoises are like, nearly twice the size of the ones on mainland wow. so it's kind of interesting where you know some of the tortoises in madagascar have you know worked with such little resources and they're teeny tiny like of course yes there's radiated tortoises and plowshare tortoises but you've got these teeny tiny little pixis and then say you brought zombensis there why did they you know, over many, many years become twice as large as the ones on the mainland. It's kind of neat. Yeah, it's odd. Very. It's kind of the opposite of how it usually works. Right. Yeah. And I don't know the answer, but um, yeah, neat to think about. Um, they kind of look like some of them look more like Zombensis to me. Some of them look like they've got maybe some Belliana influence, but that's just my opinion. There's no data to back that up. Let me see if I can find this. It's basically a photo I took of the, the one that you've got live now is a adult Erosa male. Um, Super cool. Such a light color to that head. Yeah. So Erosa males will either kind of be this coloration with the kind of pastel yellow shell with a yellow head or they'll be like black and orange with a 
bright orange head. They can be real gorgeous. And is that, you know, indicative of the parents from a, a locality phenotype or is that just random? So I spoke with Dwight Lawson, um, who I've got some of his work on my website as well. Um, he's the curator at the Oklahoma City Zoo right now. Um, he was at Zoo Atlanta doing a bunch of awesome work there. But he did his um, doctoral work, um, or I believe it was a, his doctoral work on Conixus arosa and some on Conixus homiana and like, and some other stuff, but he was in the Congo, like in the field, finding these guys. And when I sent him pictures of some males that I have that look like the one that you see there, right. some that have brown, like gray heads, some that have kind of pink heads, he said, like, that's natural variation within a population. So before okay. I spoke with him, I would have said, like, that's a locality difference. But he right. said, it's not. He saw males that look like all these different types within a single population. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yes. Yeah. So there's kind of an in-betweener, like a male that isn't quite the, you know, bright orange with the black markings, but part of the way there, I'll try to get you a photo of one of those as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dude, I just can't get over like, the geometry of it you know it's just so cool let's see i found the photo yeah and it's not a not a great one but it, it basically shows you you know those are some baby arosa it shows you the the shell of a labazzi and the shell of a homiana and to the untrained eye they look super similar it's coming at you nice i gotta yeah. ask what, what are the blue dots so those are just marking bloodlines. Yeah. So there's okay. little tiny, I use nail polish marks to designate. Um, yeah. So, you know, the blue are from one clutch, the bottom left animals from a different clutch. It hasn't been marked yet. And cool. I start at that left, um, the left front scoot um, and then move out from there. So it's the front marginal scoot. At the first one, it's the first one that hatched all the way to five in that clutch. Oh, nice. That's super yes. cool. That's a great way to do it, man. Yeah, it helps way. you keep track. Uh, it's something I stole from, I'm not even sure who at this point, but um, yeah, it's something that we use in the turtle turtle world. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen a, a fair bit of dragon breeders kind of do the same thing where they take um, uh, like a non-toxic marker and they'll just like color a stripe on their tail. And obviously it only lasts until the next shed, you know? And uh, I imagine that the nail polish probably lasts longer with these guys. Yeah. It lasts a, a pretty good long time. Honestly, I know, you know, some people microchip them or pit tag them, um, right. which I'll be working with a, a vet to do uh, here soon. Um, but you know, for babies, it's a good way to keep track of them. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. when you have that many, you know? Yeah. Look at those little golf balls. Connects this homie on a female. And yeah, you can see the, she's dirty, but you can see the scalloping at the back of her shell. That's kind of what I was talking about 
um, mm-hmm. that you see on those and you see has that lobster tail look. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Very cool, man. Super cool. And just it's always awesome to see the size of the eggs compared to mom. Like, oh, it's awesome. And I know it. That that little ping pong ball pops out of what it pops out of. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know. And and, and it, what I mean by that is like I don't I I can't I can only imagine how big those eggs are. And then you look at like sea turtle eggs, and they're almost the same size. But you think about how small the hingeback is compared to the yeah. sea turtle. You know, those things are close to ping pong ball size like you say ping pong ball but like you're yeah. spot on like it's ping pong ball sized eggs for sure all right i got the other photos i'm getting them yeah right. so homie on it in a row so lay those round ping pong ball type eggs and then pretty much everything else lays more oblong eggs um and there can be you know there's variation in there but you know, some of the specs will lay an egg that's like almost twice as long as it is wide. Wow. Yeah, right. so not an awesome quality photo, but you can see a Labatsi that was found in South Africa on the left, and then a Homiana that's wild caught from Ghana on the right. And wow. like they look darn similar, and they're thought to be. <clears throat> you know, completely opposite in their habitat and their diet and all that stuff. But, um, you know, they're close relatives that live super far away, but you know, the morphology is right there. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. There we go. Look at that. Yeah. So there's some variation. It's, you know, the yellow, to the you know the bottom right male that's just stunning like that animal is incredible yeah man that's like textbook i love it yeah absolutely love it and like and we, can... always, we always talk about like tortoise shell like glasses and like the Cats. the 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 color tortoise shell you know what i mean yeah and this yeah. is what like comes to mind you know mm-hmm. yeah but you think about that and like the forest floor in a bunch of leaf litter and stuff oh yeah like, you don't get much better than that i mean yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. I, I imagine like just sitting there chilling next to a Gaboon Viper, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yep. You got to look out. <laughs> right. Yeah. So cool, man. Gorgeous animals. What other species did you see when you were out there? Like snakes, um, snakes and other herbs wise? Man. So the first time I went out there, my friend Paul that we linked up with said, you know, I said to him, all I want to do is see some venomous snakes. Like, of course I want to see hingebacks, but I grew up road cruising for snakes every single night. You're in the Mecca. Yeah. Like my dad and I road cruised for snakes every night. Um, you know, so yeah, grew up a snake guy have had, a large snake collection in the past. And, you know, I said to him, let's find some snakes. I really want to find a boom slang. Um, uh, yeah. Cobras, whatever it was. And on my first trip, um, other than a night adder, um, I got skunked in being oh. there. So we found other snakes, like a bunch of non-vesimous stuff. Um, like Do you remember which night adder it was? 
Um, I'll send you a picture. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's either it's either Rombiatus or you know DeFilippi. So, Rombic. Yeah, Rombic Night Adder. Cool. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Those, yeah. I think that's the only thing that would be in that in that neck of the woods. Okay. Yeah. So, and Paul found that. Um, but you know, some mole snakes, house snakes. Nice. Um, Any big moles? No, no big moles, um, smaller mole snakes. Although, you know, in his collection, he has a giant mole snake. Did, uh, R- did the, really did cool. the baby, did the juvenile moles, have they changed color yet or no? Change no. color and pattern? No, no, so no. They were all one, one color or were they still crazy looking? They were still crazy looking. Yeah. What do they look, what do they look like as babies? Oh, they're totally different. Yeah. I mean, really? Yeah, here, let me try and pull something up. Say a fine one. I didn't know that because that's one of those species we've talked about in the past too, where it's like when we see one for sale on Morph Market or something here in the States, it's kind of a big deal because it's not, you know, you never see them really available and they're they're impressive snakes. Yeah, it's a neat snake. You know, that ends up turning like a drab brown mm-hmm. or black um, or dark brown. Um, yeah, the one we found early was maybe like a foot long, if that um it was a nice. real little one but yeah the second trip was more successful and uh yeah i basically got through most of the trip flora and i met up with terrence uh and allison mm-hmm. and you know he's a big snake guy she's also a snake person and um you know i said to him i still haven't found a venomous snake and i've spent like four weeks in south africa help yeah and (laughs) we went out we went out road cruising and turned up like a puff adder and a couple dead cobras um and oh wow a stiletto snake nice nice excellent yeah Yeah, that's awesome yeah man stilettos are 100 on my radar yeah so ours looked the one that we found, and I, I can send you a photo of it, but yeah, please, please do. Yeah, on the right side of your screen, the really heavily patterned bright one, it's the the one that's kind of down to the left is more like the one that we found. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I had no good. idea they look like that as babies. That's wild. And I yeah. feel bad because these are even like even these ones, these two that we just showed, these are ugly babies. <laughs> and dude, like Matt Most and I have a major heart for for this for this type of animal and i've been trying to track some down Uh, a pair came through a couple months back and they just wanted exuberant amounts of money um and it's crazy because these things are all over the place in south africa oh yeah Yeah. that's that's all right look that's a pretty good looking one i like the white on the sides but you know this this turns into you know this monster diesel brown you know pseudo indigo pseudo cobra you know yep i wanted to find an aurora house house snake that's my favorite snake in south africa those things are awesome yeah dude auroras are fantastic that's actually kind of aurora ish mm-hmm. dude they're just south there. african pituophis like i was gonna that. say it reminds yeah. me of a pine yeah yeah <clears throat> let's see I would love to see a Cape Cobra. That would be yeah. up there on my list of things I gotta see if I'm if I'm even in that part of the world. Yeah. 
One thing that was neat on our second trip was we visited a collection of a gentleman who kept all of the dwarf bitis. Nice. Um, so cool, man. Like, That's um, cool. yeah. So, do, you know, do you I, have every species? I couldn't tell you, but he okay. had plenty of them. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and, you know, different species. I don't know mine that well, uh, well enough to know just by looking at them, but um, yeah, he, sh he was generous to, you know, share that with us. And um, yeah. I'm convinced all the cool bitters are the tiny ones. Yeah. Like everyone thinks, you know, rhinos are awesome. Gabs are awesome. Parviocular are awesome. But it's like, have you seen Cornuda? You know, have you seen the Caudalis? And that's just, they're so freaking cool. And it, I, I find it funny. Actually, I, I keep, I think a while back I meant to say I was going to look up a phylogenetic tree just to see how far removed they are from the big bitters. Because um, to me, it's it's kind of goofy to have something like the like the cornuda in the same realm as you know a yeah. giant giant gaboon yeah. but i don't know maybe that's just one of those things that uh no one's really done any any sort of serious amount of work to really well, like, kind of get lumped in there like yeah these if, you, these are, if you look at the physiology they're extremely similar like in every way but you just it's almost how do i compare this it's no different than like a Thompson's gazelle and a giraffe species that evolved to be larger specifically for the, a, a particular task of acquiring food. Right. You know, the same way the giraffe, you know, gets the leaves in the top of the tree in an area where it's all thorn scrub and there's nothing really edible, you know, mm -hmm. below head level. Right. You look at the gaboon is going to attempt to grab bigger, mammals and larger lizards and then you look at like you know uh bitis atropos that literally yeah. is eating platysaurus and that's it and just like you know thompson's gazelle is eating little sprouts in the ground so i th at least that's how i looked at it you know it's but, probably an accurate accurate interpretation of it too i'd imagine yeah but it is crazy to see how like one species is even even if you compare the like the hoof stock, like you look at the gazelles and you look at the antelope and stuff, and like there's a gradual increase. But with the bitis, I feel like it's really tiny or really big. There's no in between, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, you, you're either eight inches or you're you know five foot. <laughs> so, so on that thread, I was just looking to confirm, but in Madagascar, it's like Coloma. Um, and hopefully some chameleon person, um, doesn't come on and say I'm totally crazy, but, um, you know, like there's the Parsons chameleon, um, right. that's Coloma. So the genus Coloma and they're gigantic. And then, you know, it hit me like there's Coloma Nasuda or Nasudum. That's this tiny little chameleon, um, that like will fit on your fingertip. Um, and it's, you know, a similar thing where it's the same genus, uh, you know, within Madagascar on this island, but, you know, one is huge and, you know, one is teeny tiny mm -hmm. and, you know, morphologically, you know, the Nasudum have this long nose appendage sort of thing and, you know, yeah. Parsons don't, but they still, you know, are lumped together. Yeah. 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 
So right. as far as keeping snakes goes, what have you what have you been into historically, you know, over the over the years? So, you know, I'd say it's king snakes. It's what's stuck with me. I've worked with all kinds of stuff from like rhino rat snakes to blood pythons to um womas all kinds of different stuff over the years my dad and i had a pretty good size colubrid collection to start out and then i kind of branched off from there but we worked with a lot of florida kings uh, when i was real little it was field collecting a pair cranking out babies and turning the babies and the adults loose where we found them and working on something else um so we kind of kept like a species or two at a time um, that's awesome reproduce those guys and because you're in the um, panhandle or are you southmore i'm in the panhandle but i grew up in sarasota so okay cool yeah so south of tampa west Prime king snake territory sarasota is yeah. the best uh best water snakes oh <laughs> water snakes like crazy um, oh yeah king so snakes so let me ask you in the uh sorry my neighbor's dog just came to say hello <laughs> um have you gotten all six florida venomous in your area um no uh, like have i found them yeah um so i've never found a live coral snake um, okay i feel your pain yeah and then um yeah a timber rattlesnake no but i've yeah, I've got the rest, um, like the copperhead, um, diamondback rattlesnake, pygmy rattlesnake, cottonmouth. Um, yeah, I've got those, but no coral snake and no timber. All right. Eventually, we, it's, on the, it's on the list. We I went with uh, Tyler and another friend of ours, um, herping a little while back, and we found a dead coral snake, which was neat yeah. to see and it was like oh i'm going back there but yeah um yeah hopefully one day yeah one day i want to get a group of herpers together that is okay in truthfully sharing their spots in that area up by you because i want to try and take a three-day weekend and i want to find all six in one weekend that would be sweet that's like that that's like i don't have many goals for herping in the u.s but I just feel like as a, as a Floridian and as a venomous guy, like I want to do that. And like your neck of the woods is the only place to do that. You know, it, does the Apalachicola national forest cover all six? No, no, I don't. Is there copperheads that okay. far north? Okay. I'm not sure. I don't know. I think, so, I think if you, there's only like five or six little tiny little pockets where you can get the copperhead. The copperhead from what I gather is the hardest in that, you know, group. Yep, yep. Because just yep. barely comes into Florida. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a guy in um, Apalachicola that's, you know, the guy, um, you know, who's found everything. I mean, he's found rainbow snakes there. Nice. Um, so, you know, he's probably not the guy that's going to go and say, like, this is where <laughs> I found him. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it just, you know. He's the guy that shows you that they're out there, um, but he also spends a ton of time um, out there looking. So yeah. it's a numbers uh, game, man. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, collection wise, like basically what's stuck with me is some Apalachicola Kings and nice. some uh, locality, um, you know, 
Dade County, Brookside. Um, sure. You know, we I say like Brookside that. here. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. We're so, team Brookside, except cool. for Justin. Justin doesn't like him. <laughs> yeah. So, those guys. And then I picked up, well, Tyler and I picked up some um, Mosaic Eastern Kings that are oh, just those Edisto ones. Yes, man. Nope, they dude, I saw those at Daytona. And oh my God. So, I reached out. Um, it's Kevin Inge. Um, who's working with those guys. I reached out to him before Daytona and said dibs on a couple of them. Um, and before the show opened, we went over there and picked through uh, what he had. But those things are insane. Like yeah. black and white, beautiful yeah. locality kings. Tyler was like, dude, you want to see some, some Edison, <laughs> Edison kings? I was like, yeah. And he showed me. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. Super cool, man. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Loafman's got some outer banks, man. I, mm-hmm. I need them. I need, I had them and I don't now and I need them. So I need him to raise them suckers up and get them fat and ready. I used to work with some outer banks as well. Awesome. Oddly enough, that's what the Edistos reminded me of a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's just a more like, contrasty vibrant outer banks super cool justin um so you know i spoke with tyler today um and we're pumped to get those corn snakes to you Um, yeah yeah so those the person who got me into the reptile hobby um was benita gala and she ran a shop um, down in Sarasota that she initially bought from Ben Siegel many years ago. And, you know, at you know, seven or eight years old, I stumbled into her place and she hooked me up with a little chameleon that she raised for like two months so that I didn't kill it. Um, nice. <laughs> and basically she's been working on that line of blood reds for, you know, the last seven or eight uh, years, many generations to kind of make them more orange, bring up the the white on the sides. And, um, you know, Tyler said, you're that guy. So I'm just curious, you know, what corn snake stuff you're doing and, um, you know, what you'll cross that into when you get them. Well, the main thing for corns for me is, is the locality stuff that I have here. Um, that's kind of been the, that's going to be the main focus in terms of like what I'm really planning to hold on to and sort of mess around with for the next, you know, indefinite future. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in the very bottom corner of South Carolina on the coast by Jasper County. So I'm in like the spot for corns, like in my opinion, South Carolina corns, especially the ones here are the, the corns like <laughs> world famous, the, the original corn spot. And I, uh, there's a ton of barrier islands down here and I live on one of them. And so the group that I have, um, I have reverse trio that's from my parents' property right up the road from me. Uh, and then I have another female from across the County and she's, uh, I got her when she was back in like 2018, she was tiny, um, like fresh out of the egg. Um, and it's, uh, she's ready to go now this year. So, the ladies island stuff or the beaver county stuff is is kind of going to be the big thing but i do have some other morph stuff that i've i've started to 
pick up and dabble in, but I won't be getting into into those um, breeding wise for another couple of years because everything I have is still kind of small. But um, yeah, I'm definitely you know between yeah Caulfield, he was a big proponent of the Okatee Hunt Club. He wrote about it a lot. Uh, but we have our buddy Chris Painshab. You know, he's always got corns that he's like, dude, I'm going to send you these and these and these. And I'm like, don't, I don't have space. <laughs> and I want them because they're really nice. So I've got some like honey, honey stuff is I'm really big into. Um, I've got like a het sunkissed male that I'll tie into the locality stuff at some point. Probably not until he's going to need at least another year. Um, I like Tessera stuff a lot. I've got some, some, really nice uh high white amel stuff from mike kosicki that's that's gonna if it's going the route i think it is they're gonna look really nice i mean they're gonna keep the high white that the dad has uh and then i got some other tessera and stripe stuff that i'm planning to play with down the line so plenty of that's that's the issue is there's just so many options in corns there's like there's literally no limits to what you can you can do with them and it's kind of overwhelming it's it's hard to stay focused on on you know certain things but the locality stuff is definitely, you know, what I'm, where my, my heart and soul is uh, focused on mostly with with corns. Sweet. That's but sweet. I do like I am extremely interested to see tying in that that F1 stuff into some of these other you know uh, morphs and whatnot and seeing what happens. Very cool. It's it's awesome when you have an animal that is as iconic and fun and f- checks every box as the corn snake and the fact that the three of us all have our own localities and you know like that's just that's awesome it's 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 like a it's a fun pride thing you know mm-hmm. yeah and hold, then i've got the, i've got that pair of uh, jasper counties from dan parker that are i mean they're jasper counties but they're like line bred so they're kind of like the extreme version of what you would sort of find in the in the wild but okay um, I'm anxious to tie those into to some of my stuff too locally. Uh, and then me and Jake plan to do a, a good bit of road cruising out that way when it starts warming up. So I'm hoping I can find some small, um, we don't like taking adult stuff in terms of like field collection and stuff. We, we, we try to keep it to yearlings are smaller, um, yep. size wise roundabout. So hopefully we can find some, some smaller stuff. I really don't even, I don't want a lot either. Like when it comes to that, like field collection, I don't want to take every single one I find, you know, I want like one or two animals and I'm good. Yep. Um, you know, there's, there's a certain ethical perspective when it comes to field collection that we definitely try to try to stick to. And, you know, it's like one or two animals is cool, but taking home every single one you find is kind of a little bit much. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping to find um, some gray rat snakes out here that are small enough that I feel good about hanging on to them. Uh, We've got some on our property here and everything we've found is like monster adult animals or at least animals that are like three and a half, four feet long um, Mm -hmm. up to a male that was like over six feet long. He was huge. Um, But yeah, I mean, growing up in Sarasota, I used to go up to Tallahassee with a buddy, Mark Lanier, who, you know, was a herper in the area. And, you know, we'd find what we called oak snakes, which were like really light, um, like silvery powder gray, gray rat snakes. And out here by me, they're, su- they're super dark. 
um, like completely different, just a couple hours west. But um, yeah, I've always loved the rat snakes. The yellow rat snake was the first snake I ever produced. Nice. Um, what so, do the yellow rat snakes look like in your neck of the woods? So up here we have gray rats. Um, in Sarasota, we've got the yellow rats, and those were um, like real bright yellow with really dark lines. Yeah. Um, so it's like a pretty contrasty uh, yellow rat snake. Yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't know if if yellows actually went up into like the northwestern part of the state or not. They don't. That's where we get grays. Um, I wish we had yellows here because. Like, yeah, they're my favorite um, as far as the rat snakes go. Um, I think they're gorgeous. But uh, out here, we've just got the gray rat snakes. Nice. The panhandle. Yeah. yeah. We have a lot of yellows here, but they're not compared to those, uh, you know, like the ones Jake has, which I think are like Henry County or something like that. You know, they don't. Yeah. They don't hold a candle to those, those nice contrast clean. Like these are much dirtier sort of, I don't know. They're, they're cool. I've, I've thought about if we ended up coming across a pair, cause we see them all the time. Like they're, they're everywhere down here. So it's not, you know, they're not, they're not hurting as far as population goes, but if I ever came across a pair breeding those and yep. re-releasing the parents and then just hold on to, you know, some babies or something, just a, a little tinkering sort of project, but yeah, I don't know. Those, those, the females we have around here, man, they get freaking huge. It's like, I don't think I have any enough space to even house one of those comfortably, you know, cause you know, they're going to cruise and, and stuff constantly. And, yeah it's neat to see the the you know the color change in the yellow rat snakes you know they're born looking just like a gray rat snake baby Mm -hmm. um or i think black rat snakes start the same correct yeah yeah pretty sure all of them start like the exactly the same you know gray gray with saddles (laughs) yeah 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 i got a a a baby everglades that mike kosicki gave me and It's just starting to get a little pink on it, just starting to show. So it's only shed once for me so far, but I, like I'm very excited because I've been looking for a very long time. And in the past, we found them left and right, and not anymore. So let's see how this one goes. It's because people were keeping every single one they found. It's literally it. <laughs> it's yeah. it's. I think it's a combination of people keeping every single one they found, every single one that was high high color. Yeah, yeah, and. I honestly feel like there's just a major because I'm a firm believer in it being either a subspecies or two species. It's it's a different animal. It really is opposed to yellows. I don't care what DNA says. I'm that guy. But because of human encroachment and agriculture and highways and all that jazz, I really feel like all those choice animals got plucked. Mm -hmm. And now you have so much integrate with yellows that the pinks aren't as pink and the oranges aren't as orange. And that I really feel like that's what's happening right now, but what do I know? And you ever think maybe it was just, you have crap luck. It could be. Well, so in 2021 (laughs) in all, all the herping that Anna Marie and I did in 2020, I did a lot. Um, I I tried to, I tried to, because I barely did 2020. Um, Excuse me. I found one, two, three, four, five. I found five yellows. All of them were under 15 inches, but had tur- or maybe 20 inches, but had changed color. Three of them were DOR, and the, the two of them I gave to Billy. And uh, right. I think one of them wound up passing away because it was not, it was just a runt, you know, sadly mm-hmm. to say. 
I think I need some uh, some rat snakes from you guys. You're a bad influence yeah. now. <laughs> Tyler does it to us. It's only fair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dude, Ty- Tyler sends me so much cool stuff, man, and I'm just like, damn it, don't don't do that. You know, whether it's monitors or yeah, turtles. he sends me a lot of monitor videos. And stuff. Yeah, he, he's he's got good taste. Um, he when, does. It's annoying. <laughs> when we first talked about, um, you know, sharing a non hingeback facility, um, you know, I moved into the area and we decided, you know, keep our hingeback collection separate. Like, honestly, it's safer to not put all your eggs in one basket. Like, aside from just, like, I want to work on my stuff, um, like, and have control over all that stuff. Yeah. No um, like, it's really better to to have, like, 100 different collections of hingebacks than one giant one. Um, oh, yeah. But we, you know, we had interest in some different lizards and stuff like that, and said it makes a lot more sense um because we work together um to collaborate on those projects um instead of like cool you've got a caiman lizard and i've got a caiman lizard like we can work on them together and like the caiman lizard is something that was not even on my radar at all uh until i met him and that's a you know a lizard that he's you know been in love with for a long time and was like dude we're getting some caiman lizards um (laughs) and those guys are big now like we'll be pairing those up this season um i'm excited because you know that's something that he's wanted to do for a long time and no one's really producing them in the country um in the private sector Mm -hmm. but at daytona we touched base with a zoo friend of ours um i won't shout out his name because i don't want anyone to pester him but um yeah, he, he gave us some pointers because they're cranking them at the zoo he's at. Um, and nice. like Tyler would die if we produced some caiman lizards. Um, <laughs> and then I threw monkey-tailed skinks, prehensile-tailed skinks at him. And yeah, we've gone mad. So basically it's, you know, a caiman lizard, a gurnia, um, you know, carusha monitor lizard collection. That's how many crews cool. you got now? A lot. <laughs> How like, many do you think we have? Uh, I mean, knowing you two, I want to say just adults, I'd say 20. Yeah, so just adults were around there. Um, and nice. then, yeah, more than that many young ones. Um, and it's awesome. basically, you know, you know, it's a group of lizards that live in a circulus, right? So it's not like hingebacks where you need, you know, you have 20 adults, you have 20 enclosures, Um, you know, you can give them a nice big enclosure. They're living in this, you know, family dynamic, which is what draws me to them. It's what draws me to a gurnia. And, um, you know, that social dynamic where you might want to pair these two lizards up, but they're not about it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's not something we see in herps a lot either. You know, that's not something that's common in, in a lot of, yeah lot of reptiles and amphibians yeah i mean like the largest skink species to my knowledge they're arboreal they have prehensile tails they are leaf eating specialists they raise their young they give live birth like they have a social dynamic like it's such a neat lizard and you know they're obviously well in the hobby um you know a lot of people 
get them as single pets, but um, like they're totally underrated for being a lizard that's out in front of everyone's face. Yeah. Um, you know, for a, a lizard that, <clears throat> you know, you're going to see interact with, you know, its partners and, you know, kind of like bond. Uh, they're really cool. So and, I got two Karusha questions. Okay. One is how many of them are actually tame and like will let you play with them? <laughs> Okay, so none. Um, okay. not, 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 not actually none. So okay. uh, the thing about them that we learned quickly, because the person who got me into those was Benita. Um, mm -hmm. At that shop, she bred Karusha like crazy. Um, and she had some that lived on it. She got like some climbing rope, like the braided rope, and hung it all over her shop and had pothos hanging basket planters and one of her colonies lived loose in the store. That's um, awesome. Yeah. It was so cool. Um, That's really cool. But tangent. So she got me into them, but all you have to do is get them out of the cage and they tame down. Like there's two of, you know, our entire colony um, adults and babies that are still going to nail you when they're outside of the cage. Um, they tend to be cage aggressive. Like you go in there to go get them out and they're not super happy. Um, but yeah, I mean, like they're used to us now. They're used to our hands going in and out. We don't yeah. handle them much. Like they don't love it. We only really get them out to help them with a stuck shed or something like that. Sure. Um, but we really, you know, we leave them alone, but that's another reason I love them. Like they are sassy. They're out to get you. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. they're, not, they're not sweet lizards. And I'm sure all that helps with like keeping the stress down and, you know, relaxation in the, in that family unit, which segues to my, my next question is, have you noticed because you're keeping multiple adults, because you're keeping mom with babies, of course, have you noticed any legitimate, like, I don't want to say postpartum issues with, removing offspring or even selling offspring so we're not that far yet um we've had our groups together for a year and a half now um okay. and we have not produced any babies yet um okay. so the young ones that we have are ones that came in their imports um you know sure. everyone sells them as a captive produced no, their imports. imports yeah their their imports um, you know, as far as basically what it seems from people I've spoken with, um, like Benita and then Eric Acaba, who is like the Karusha guru, he's got more Karusha than anyone I know. And he's on like eighth generation captive born. Like wow. the guy is, has some adults that he's had for like 30 years. Um, if you have Karusha questions, it's really him, um, to speak with, but it seems like males, at some point get pushed out by the father, um, you know, and within a cage that can cause problems. Like you've got to sure. get the male out there, out of there at like a year old or less, six months, a year, 18 months, depending on the animal. Um, okay. obviously he has no other tree to go to. Um, but what he has shared is that the daughters do not get pushed out for the most part, but he will not breed them. 
Um, really? And that's that's anecdotal, but that's something that he shared. He made an entire long thread on Facebook on the Karusha group um, talking about how he had a leucistic pied looking uh, male. Really? Yeah. And, you know, obviously he wanted to try and reproduce that. But in order to do that, you have to produce daughters and then breed it back to the father. And he was never able to get the father to breed those girls. Um, wow. You know, it's like leave them in that circulus um, to see if he would then breed his daughter. And, you know, someone mentioned, well, why don't you pull all the females away and then reintroduce the daughters years later? And it's kind of like, he definitely sees them as the bonded lizards that like have chosen those adult females and he's not going to disrupt that. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, which like I respect and, you know, to this day, most of his colonies at this point are descendants from that animal and he's never popped another one out to my knowledge. Um, but you know, as far as, you know, the mother's well-being of like having babies removed, I'm sure the animals that are being imported, like I'm sure those adult females deal with that on top of the stress of like, some person ripping their baby away or exporting them as well or whatever they're doing there. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, Karusha are around, but the amount of people who are actually producing them is low. And so another, you know, reasoning behind us setting up the size group that we did is that they're super low maintenance. Um, once you get them in, um, in their groups, and, you know, we have the resources to keep those groups going and, you know, get some captive born on the ground so that, you know, if hope, we're hoping that, you know, they stop importing the things. It's not a lizard mm -hmm. that's sustainably collected. Like these yeah. things have one to zero to two babies a year and um, like they do live long lives, but they're not the lizard that needs to be collected and exported. Um, so, you know, it's not like a, you know, I don't know, something like collecting a corn snake, um, right. removing even an adult female corn snake is completely different from re removing an adult female Karusha that was like yeah. bonded in its family group. And, mm -hmm. you know, like, do we know that that male is going to move on to like, go find another female? Like we don't. Um, so, yeah, we had an article in one of the magazines a while back that, that my buddy Harlan Wall wrote, and he talked about those in particular, and it was about, you know, the importance of obscurity and obscure species and, like, captive breeding those. And that was one of the examples of, of one of those species that, you know, was at one point very cheap and very common. And then over time, you know, interest shift or, you know, importation got completely cut off, and all of a sudden they went from, from being a, a pretty cheap, lizard to being extremely expensive and the lack of people putting in serious time and in, in breeding and stuff like that is, has led to that as well. And, um, I've, I've heard a lot of mixed things about them in terms of, you know, yeah, they're not terribly pleasant to, to mess with. And, um, but as far as like the social dynamics though, I didn't, I didn't know that they were that, that complex. Yeah, I mean, there's a, like, to what you just shared, there was a podcast that Ron St. Pierre was on, and he shared getting, like, canary yellow Karusha 
years ago for like twenty dollars a yeah. piece. I don't remember the the number, but it was like this is insane. Like you don't you don't find canary yellow ones around. We have like mm -hmm. a couple that have some crazy coloration, but definitely not for twenty five dollars. Yeah, or fifty or a hundred, whatever it was. What are the adult groups that you're keeping? I mean, is like, can you have multiple males in with a group or is it just one male and a handful of females? Yeah. So it's, um, Eric generally runs 1.1s or 1.2s. Um, 1.3s definitely can work. Um, what we've found so far in pairing these things up, um, is that, females can honestly be the nasty ones um like females are the ones pushing other females out hmm. or females are pushing males out um so you know males so far tend to be happy with the girls that are put in there whether he's breeding them or not or he just sees them as a lizard that can live in his cage i'm not sure um but it's it's getting those females um so basically from the young ones that we've raised up it's raising them in groups um so that they're socialized um and that's something eric said from the beginning like we need to raise these guys together even the young ones that are you know imports do not house them alone because they grow up to be these like you know for lack of better terms anti-social nasty lizards that you can't really pair up and I've heard that with a gurnia too. A couple of people have told me like, you know, buying lone adults and trying to pair them up is like a recipe for disaster compared to just raising a group of babies together and then whittling down. And that's the caiman lizards. Um, these are the, uh, the agurnia. Yeah. That's like, the, you know, the, uh, spiny tailed skinks from Australia. Um, oh yeah. 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 Yep. That was yeah. actually the next question is which yeah, like, of agurnia you guys do. You're sounding fuzzy, Phil, like your mic's, uh, how about now there you go yeah no, i was just gonna say is which species of agurney are you guys keeping do you like just gidgies or there's only one answer to that and that's not enough <laughs> <laughs> nice so man i'm in love with those things um so we keep gidgies cool. and we have two of the subspecies of gidgies to my knowledge um yeah. but like yeah, they're Hosmeri we want. Um, like the dwarfs we definitely want, but not in excess. Like the Gidgees are the ones that you can keep in like groups of eight or groups of sure. six, groups of 10 even, um, you know, together. Like some of them, you know, I've got a 2.1 as well. But, um, you know, those are the ones that you're keeping kind of communally. They get bigger. And the dwarfs, like... Depressa, Eos, Epsisolus, yeah. and Pignitos. Um, we definitely want some, and, you know, we almost jumped at grabbing a group, but, you know, it's setting those up just in, like, a pair and, you know, doing it right. So, um, yeah. Dude, Epsisolus is intense, bro. So cool. Yeah, Dude, they're stunning. Literally, like, desert digital camo. Yes. Yeah, those those are those are definitely my favorite. I mean, they're obviously, I, I, in my opinion, they're the most impressive looking. But, dude, Gigi size is just love it. It's like, yeah, how big are your adults? Um, so you know, again, that's ones that we're raising up. Um, the stock from a local friend of ours that we got some of them from, those are like, I don't know, 
I would well, I want to say like bearded dragon size. Um, I'd say like a solid ten inches. Yeah, like eight to ten. I would say. Nice. I think ten is maybe a little long. I don't know that they're quite ten, but um, yeah. I mean, they get bigger, and it's that lizard that's um, yeah. Like it could totally replace a bearded dragon if someone was going to handle sure. it. Um, you know, it's out and active. It's eating like salads and some insects. Like they're super mm -hmm. easy to keep. Um, you know, another lizard that's easy to keep. It's out there. It's underrated in my opinion. Oh, like, yeah. I don't see, totally. you know, Ray Gergi is the one who turned me onto those guys as a kid. Um, he's a guy that's down here in Florida and he, crank sigurnia from you know mostly gidgies but he, i think he produces depressa as well very cool um, my buddy manny from tiki's geckos he's got a, a good group of uh, of gidgies and all his adults are like eight nine inches long but it's frustrating because every time i go hang out with them i want to like i've never i've never held an adult you know what i mean and i want to like interact with them but yeah when you get within six feet of the enclosure all you hear is gone. Yep. Like the entire, I think he's got like, you know, eight or nine, you know, family unit in that one enclosure and it, you just see dust. <laughs> so, you know, I experienced that as well with the first ones I got. And then okay. I got some from Eric Russell at ZooMed. Um, mm -hmm. He works for ZooMed. That guy is dude, incredible. Eric is, dude, Eric is the man. Yeah. So the man. He came and visited and he saw how I had them set up. And he said, like, your enclosure looks great, but keep them in an enclosure that is front opening um, so that they're like at face height, front opening and tong feed them. If you yeah. give them their salads and you tong feed the insects, they go crazy for insects. And like his are literal puppy dogs, like almost really? all of, yeah, almost all of his, that's not the case. It's not walking up to a cage and they dart, um, like his animals tongue feed and like, you can walk up to the cage and, and they're out. And we took a group that I bought from Eric and put them in, in an enclosure in our house. It's the only like reptiles in our house. And, um, those things are out every evening and every morning, you know, most of them are not scared of us and they're out and active. So I think it's just, uh, it's just showing them that you're the bringer of food instead of some predator. Yeah. Dude. And it could also be that, you know, Russell's just got the gift, man. Yeah. He He's does. got the touch, you know, yeah, I actually, the, touch. The, the first time I ever met him, like I'd seen him in passing over the years at underground and wherever else he was, you know, visiting. And uh, I wanted to get some lepidophyma and my buddy Marcus was like, dude, I think Eric's got some, he's selling like some babies he produced. And I was like, Oh really? And I hit him up and he's like, yeah, I've got a, an extra female and I've got a baby. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll take both of them. And uh, he had some agernia in the car when we did our little deal so like he hands me the lepidophyma in the in the deli cups and I'm like, oh, these are so cool. And he's like, yeah, he's like, you like, you know, drab colored lizards with spiky tails. Look at this. <laughs> and I was like, man, what are you doing, bro? Yeah. <laughs> so, but dude, he's great people, man. Great people. He's fantastic. And, you know, before, you know, I was a customer, he was super happy to teach me and share everything he knew. Like, yeah, the dude 
He's got a good heart, and he's a great, great heart. reptile ambassador. Oh, that's the perfect word for it, too, man. A legit ambassador. And, dude, he's a fantastic herper, too. Oh, yeah. Like, dude, some of his pictures he showed me from, you know, intercontinental herping, dude. Like, the man's got the gift. He's got photos of hingebacks from his trip to South Africa. That's awesome. Yeah. No, oh, he's absolutely awesome. He's done some great herping. Um, he breeds a lot of species that are tricky that no one else is breeding. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's doing cool stuff. Yeah, man. And his setups are incredible with all the automation and everything. <laughs> yep. Super cool. You hang out with Justin Meeker too, like Tyler does? Justin's awesome. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's he was one of the guys he wrote a Strophurus uh article for us a while back too. That was Okay. Like ever since he, he sent in that article, man, that's that's a gecko species. That's I definitely I have to get my I don't even care what species it is. I have to get my hands on some before I die. Yeah, no, they're incredible. Such cool lizards, dude. I'm just waiting so I can hit the lottery and buy his asper. <laughs> I was just texting the other day because I was talking to Alan Stevens about some Kimberly rock monitors and the possibility of those happening later this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Ask because I know Meeker has some and, um, you know, what size enclosures he was having his adults in and stuff like that. So I can kind of plan ahead if they do happen. And uh, cool. That's just, he's got so much cool stuff, man. He, he does. Is, he's, he is an incredible reptile mind as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's these guys that have these niche species that they're mm-hmm. working with that like absolutely crush it. Like, yeah, you know, have a mean and lean collection that's like really contributing to the hobby, um, you know, with a couple of species that they work with. Like, yeah, no, Justin's doing awesome stuff. Yeah, man. Couldn't agree more. Oh. So back to tortoises. Uh, do you guys dabble in pancakes at all? So David, the guy who I went to South Africa with the first time, um, he's doing really well pancake tortoises. He set up his wild cut groups like 10 years ago and at this point is like a pancake tortoise factory. <laughs> um, but I've raised some up. I love them. It's the tortoise that eats way more than anybody else, even though they're these tiny flat things, poops yeah. more than any other tortoise, just and goes hi- right through them and hides more than any other tortoise. But they are so cool. I don't still keep them, but it is like anyone who's kept them for a long time, like it's the eating, pooping, hiding tortoise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I just like them because they're, they're smushed Conixus. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now they are. Uh, yeah. Now we pancake were, tortoises are great. Yeah. We were talking about Pier Leone before we started recording. And you said you've kept some Spangler eye in the past, too. Yes. Yeah. And I even kept some from him. Um, I had two captive form babies from him that I passed along to a friend. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's your guy for Spangler Eye. Um, yeah, he's dedicated a good portion of his collection and his space and, you know, knowledge to to the black-breasted leaf turtle for anyone who doesn't know what Spangler Eye is. But, yeah, it's a small leaf-looking turtle that 
has more personality than anything you're going to find. Like they're the turtle that's like clawing at the cage, big eyes, mouth open, ready for a worm. It seems like that's a running theme with a lot of herps that are smaller. The smaller ones typically have the more personality. Like I found that with the dart frogs, you know, all the Ranatomea seem to be more inquisitive than the bigger like Dendro babies and stuff like that that I kept. Interesting. But yeah, I didn't tell you what we had talked about it when we had them on. Like I had no idea that they were as small as they were. When you see pictures of them, it's kind of hard to get sort of a, a context in terms of just how big they are. But I had no idea that they were that small because I was like, that's really the only thing that holds me back from keeping Connexus and some of that other stuff is just size. You know, I don't have a whole lot of space to devote to something like that. But yeah, you know, talking to him about those and, and how he's keeping them and, and knowing how big or how small they stay, you know, it's like that's that's a different story than that I might be able to work with. Yeah, Spangler Eyer, you know, like I said before we went live, it's a, you know, little mini Conixus Erosa. That's really what it is. You know, Erosa are going to get 10 inches long, and, you know, not everyone wants that, but mm -hmm. Spangler Eyer is going to get four or five inches and, you know, have every bit of the personality that any tortoise has. Yeah, he was a blast to talk to, too. I really, really enjoyed the episode we did with him. Anthony's awesome. Yeah, you know him and what the turtle room is doing um for turtles and tortoises yeah i mean no one else is doing that stuff so you know they fill a they fill a void that you know um no one else is filling in the community yeah well i mean the the colonian community is is considerably smaller than i think there are a lot of other corners of her pedoculture so it, like i said at the beginning of that episode we were talking to him is it seems like the the turtle and tortoise guys are, are so much more sort of tuned in and dedicated to particular species. than it seems like a lot of other people that are sort of, you know, like myself and, and even Phil and, and the other guys here at the network, you know, we have a little bit of everything it seems like, but it's like turtle and tortoise guys, you know, they're, they're locked in, they're dedicated to, you know, yeah. only a handful of species, but they're, you know, they're, they're all in on them. Yep. I, I think, you know, I've thought about that, what you're saying right now um, over the years. And like when I had my Colubrid collection, it was a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it comes down to most turtles and tortoises require at least, you know, I'm not talking like a leopard or a Greek tortoise, like some of the outer realm niche species requires mm -hmm. such unique husbandry or unique something about that turtle that it would be hard to like put together a breeding facility for like spangler eye and you know i don't know you know an arid species like i couldn't imagine yeah. keeping homopus and spangler eye in the same exhibit those things would one of the two would not do well um right. you know and i think you know anthony does really well at you know, his facility working with, you know, Spangler eye and, you know, Egyptian tortoises and Pixis and, you know, different Cora, um, you know, different little musk turtles. So he does a good job at providing the, you know, micro habitats within mm -hmm. an enclosure to keep some different stuff and succeed. But, you know, it, I, it's a lot easier to, you know, put a rack together that you can keep an indigo and a hog nose and right. 
a corn snake and, you know, Asian rat snakes and all this other stuff in, um, where, you know, at least in the parameters that I keep in my facility, um, a lot of other turtles and tortoises would struggle and, you know, a layer on top of that, that seems different in turtles and tortoises is like disease parasites and disease, like are a serious problem with wild caught turtles and tortoises. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure they are with snakes, but man, like, yeah, I feel like I could collect a pair of gray rat snakes and like, they would do great with me. And, you know, they'd probably produce a bunch of babies and I would turn them loose and they would go on their way. And like, hingeback tortoises are not that um right. yeah and neither are spangler eye neither are egyptians um or box turtles even like yeah their biome is just different enough that like you kind of have to specialize so like sure they force us to do that just by the nature mm-hmm. of the beast yeah, yeah i mean you're looking at stuff that the parameters for what like your the wiggle room you have in terms of care and stuff is a lot more narrow i think than than in a lot of other you know snakes in particular yeah um, you know like you were saying you can you can paint with a, a broader brush with a lot of snake species especially what's what's commonly kept and what's popular you know than than what you can with with those with turtles and tortoises yeah and i spoke with uh justin the other day and you know he said you know i was cleaning bowls at the time i believe um like water dishes in the facility and like the hingebacks each one's in its own enclosure they all have their own bowls like cleaning bowls twice a week takes a long time Mm -hmm. um you know and it was you know it's like kind of pointed out that that's it's just different um I think the workload is a bit different too. Um, you know, and like I've had a collection of 2000 adult colubrids and that was like a similar amount of input as, you know, 200 tortoises. Um, yeah. like I don't, I don't have 200, but something like sure. those yeah. are comparable. Um, and you're taking a zero off of that number. So, you know, in, you know, snakes being able to just, you know, feed a quick mouse or a rat, um, clean the water dish, spot clean and move on. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, just the workload is different. Yeah. Everything, everything adds up even in small increments, because if you have 200 small water bowls for colubrids, opposed to 20 big water bowls for tortoises or larger lizards, just the time it takes you to clean each bowl, you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's sure. like like I imagine with your facility, you I I mean I don't want to assume, but a lot of people that have a large facility like yours, they'll have let's say they have two hundred water bowls. Well, they'll own four hundred mm-hmm. because it you just swap it so that you can clean them all together in like a mop sink or whatever. Opposed to mm-hmm. like me, where I don't have that capability at my home, so I have to hand clean each one. You know. Yeah, that was actually brought up to me recently. Uh, and I made the comment that just like the bowls I use are like, I don't know, 10 or 20 bucks a piece, depending on the size. Um, and like with as many as I have and with parasites and all that kind of stuff, like I do go and clean each bowl. Um, like okay. glo- gloves are changed, all that stuff. But, the, you know, he said, 
like you should just have double the bowls, like exactly what you're <laughs> saying now. And when yeah. I had snakes, it was, you know, the deli cups that yeah, whatever a, you have, Tupperware, whatever. Yeah, or you know, the deli cup goes in a PVC fitting, mm-hmm. and I wasn't worried about biosecurity and like disease. And it was pull all the water bowls, bleach them in a giant trash can, put new ones in, fill the waters, and then like go through and clean all those bowls real quick. But like to service 2000 colubrids was like as fast as I could pull waters and refill them. Like there was like, if I had to take each bowl out, clean it, put it back, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot for one dude. Yeah. It's just different. Um, and it, it helps keep your numbers down, but like someone sees a snake facility and then a tortoise facility that just has way less, like it's a similar workload for, you know, a fraction of the animals. What's yeah, I mean, I'm I'm lazy as hell when it comes to that. And like I've got I've got two, four, six, eight, ten. I got ten snakes that I just gave water for the first time since September because of the species at hand. But yeah. like I'm like, man, I can't imagine if I had to do this a couple times a week. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's for me it's twice a week. Um, or it's, it's not letting it go four days. It's not actually twice a week, but, um, I managed a, or I helped manage a large, um, snake breeding operation, um, in Loxahatchee, Florida. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I was doing that, you know, we're in Florida, we got bugs, roaches, gnats, all that good stuff. And like changing waters, every third day broke the cycle for a lot of those bugs that lay eggs in the water. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so you keep your bug numbers way down by just changing waters every three days. Um, so, you know, the time that you let it go four or five, you'll know it um, in Florida with tortoise waters that are being soiled like as yeah. soon as you put them down there, like tortoises are legendary for just, you know, you clean the water, they crawl right in and, and poop in it. Um, of course. And, you know, snakes can do that too, but it's on occasion. It's like, doesn't seem right. as intentional as the tortoises. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah. then when you're dealing with water turtles, that's a whole nother Ooh. level. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 No, I don't envy aquatic turtle keepers. Um, yeah. I don't know. We have a couple that we kind of dabble in. Um, you know, a couple different species that we work with together. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, they're, they can be a headache <laughs> and yeah. a lot of them want it warm. Like they don't want it cold yeah. either. And of course it's getting cold. So it's like, Oh man, what do we do? <laughs> yeah. What's uh, as far as parasites go, what's the most common that you seem to find in the imported Conexus? Yeah. It's everything from like amoeba to, you know, pinworms to, mm-hmm. Yeah, like different viruses and all that fun stuff. So, um, yeah, there was a group of Conexus belliana brought into the country. It's the first time they've, um, it's first time we've gotten Kenyan Conexus ever in the United States, um, or at least to my knowledge, like more than 30 years if they had come in before that. Um, And they came in basically... 99.9% 99.9% of them have not done well for people, including like myself and folks who 
like have established these other species before mm-hmm. we, we sent out entire specimens and tissue samples, blood samples, fecals, all that kind of good stuff to um, like four different institutions. And we have zero answers. Um, We don't know what they were carrying, which is definitely scary. And that's why we have a quarantine facility that is not our home facility that is not, you know, even walked into on the same days as our home facility. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you have to take it seriously. Um, you know, and that's just so foreign. Like I never did that with snakes and maybe I should have, I don't know, maybe it was doing snakes and it was like more of the wild west, you know, 15, 20 years ago, but I don't know. I I never worried that much about quarantine, bringing in a new animal as I do now. Um, and never, never had like a big collection die off or anything crazy growing up, um, with a big, a big collection. So, you know, what is most common it's it's all everything really yeah. everything that something could have hinchbacks tend to have the potential to carry but these guys you know we ran a five panel viral um test we did fungal swabs bacterial swabs blood tests you know some of them were necropsied and they died a lot died and we don't really know why hmm what's the uh what's the best technique that you guys do for lack of a better word deworming a tortoise yeah so basically the protocol that i personally take and you know i would say like you know i have a great vet here get a hold of a great vet um you know to help you with that especially if you don't know what you're doing but with hingebacks it's keeping them individually um give them like four weeks of nothing like keep it dark leave them alone literally like don't give them lights like keep them at the right temperature keep it pretty dark maybe like a little ambient light so that they can eat and drink clean their water every three days um get them hydrated they're dehydrated um a lot of them like i have there are tether holes drilled in the shells of some of my tortoises where they were hanging in markets like these things are hanging in a market and end up here super dehydrated like trashed um wow don't feed them fruit or anything sweet that's gonna mess with the fermentation in their gut yeah and then i do you know four weeks of that assess um and then i do panicure and metronidazole as like you know prophylactic treatments um just assuming like they're gonna need at least these two um and that's like you know consulting with a vet getting fecals like doing all the sampling that I need to do, whether it's a cloacal swab or whatever it is. Um, on the panicure, is it is it liquid or is it powder? Uh, panicure is a paste. It's like the horse uh, panicure. Well, paste. Like, I've, I've yeah. used panicure, pa- excuse me, panicure copious amounts of times in liquid form, okay. and we've just injected it into the prey item, but obviously yeah. frozen thawed, not alive. Right. And uh, Or even down like a frozen thawed mat's, uh, fo- frozen thawed rat's mouth excuse me Mm -hmm. and uh but i don't know how you would do that on a tortoise that's eating you know salad so it's not easy they don't want to eat it um thompson especially metronidazole so it's you know and that has a real bad taste so tyler tyler got in a group of homiana when i first got down here and it is literally 
it's easier with two people, but it's grabbing the front legs of the tortoise, pulling the head out, which a hinge back tucks its front legs in like this, totally blocking its head like three inches deep in its shell. Like you're not getting it out. Um, I had a friend of mine who um, worked with galbenefrons. It's the really pretty flower back Asian box turtles. Anthony mm -hmm. works. Anthony works with them too. And he's a great resource for me. I've reached out to him and said like, dude, like I literally can't worm these things like help, you know, you yeah. did it with box turtles. Like how the hell did you get a box turtle wormed when they can literally shut their entire shell? And he said that he would, he would grab a leg while they're sleeping. And it doesn't sound <laughs> sweet, but like the animal needs to get treated yeah, a lot of these turtles and tortoises will sleep with their legs out, and so he would wait until the night, click the lights on real quick, grab a leg, and then once you have one leg, the other egg, the rest of it's very easy and like not, um, yeah, it's like fair, honestly, fairly gentle on the tortoise. Um, like once you have that one leg, the tortoise like calms down, or like I don't know whether it thinks like okay it's got me um or what, what's <laughs> going through it. its head yeah, yeah. so like <laughs> it's happening yeah it's not fun but you know with a hinge back tortoise it can close its back mm -hmm. you know it can completely shut in its legs and its head so you're grabbing a leg you know sometimes it's you don't have to wait till it's dark but like some of them you do and you're grabbing a leg you're tubing the medication so that you know it got the right amount and um you know, that's as much as you're messing with that animal. Like that's enough stress to like yeah. take that yeah. animal out if it's not doing well. So, um, but yeah, Panicure, Metronidazole, Panicure, Metronidazole. Um, and then kind of like seeing what you got and that protocol, you know, I don't know, um, 12 of 16 or 13 of 16 survived for Tyler, which you know, may not sound amazing, but like that is really, really good numbers. A lot yeah. of people like setting up Homiana will set up however many, five to 50. And like, they're lucky if one survives. Um, wow. So the protocol seemed to work. I think a lot of it is just leaving the darn things alone. Yeah, definitely. Has anyone yeah. tried like injecting a strawberry with Panicure? That way, like they go to bite it and like they're just, they haphazardly get some in their mouth. So we do that for our redfoots. We work with some hypo redfoot tortoises um, and all of our adults, like you can get them to eat panicure on a banana or a strawberry. No problem. Like <laughs> they do not care. Um, yeah. Hingebacks are just different, man. They're just picky. Uh, you know, and the, the redfoots aren't getting metronidazole, um, which has a really bad taste. So, you know, that's where, you know, hingebacks definitely not going to eat metro, but, um <clears throat> yeah they're i mean they're picky like a hingeback is the tortoise that you chop food super tiny mix it all together and then an adult tortoise that's 10 inches long is picking through it really <laughs> yeah it's like no i wanted the mushrooms i'll leave the rest of that stuff yeah, um yeah 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 i mean i also imagine because conixes are fairly omnivorous that you could maybe even try it with like a frozen thawed day old pink yep you know and, and yeah. try and like, even if you're tweezer feeding the pinky, 
and like just shove it all the way in there real quick. <laughs> so captive born, that's how I do panicure and okay. captive born. I'm not doing metronidazole. Um, you know, it's just keeping like, you know, worms down. Sure. Um, so yeah, it is in, um, meat items. So yeah, in a pinky and a captive born is going to chow that thing down. If you put like anything in it, it doesn't care. Like nice. they, they're eating that pinky. So that is a great tool. Um, for people to use that's cool man that's good you're ready to be a hinchback keeper come on dude i, I want to but i just i'm <laughs> i'm afraid man because like i even excuse me i'll clear my throat i i want to but i'm I'm afraid that i can't I, i'm afraid that i can't be there as much as i need to and like i i, I don't want to say i struggle with some of the lizards but I have to make a valiant effort and remind myself that they're not snakes and they have to eat frequently and I have to, you know, provide vitamins and minerals and calcium and all that. And doing a tortoise, I don't think it's conducive to my schedule right now. And I don't want to get into it because I want to do it right. Like you guys, I want to, I'm, I'm, and if I do, it's hundred percent going to be connected hands down, but I'm just, I'm just weary that I can't be the best, you know, tortoise father that I want to be. You know what I mean? That's, that's totally fair, man. And like, yeah, I respect that. It is a, yeah, it's a different, yeah, it's a different undertaking and like they definitely tolerate, you know, I'm going to say neglect cause like that's my own. Yeah. Like I, I can neglect a snake for lack of better terms. Like, you know, it's not being on top of feeding it three times a week. Right. Like, yeah. you know, the, green tree pythons that we've got at work are fed very infrequently. And like, that's what I mean by like neglect, right? Like the animal needs very little from me to do well. Um, so yeah, I totally hear you. Now, Tyler yeah, and I were talking about those chondros the other day. He was sending me pictures. He's like, dude, they're, they, they stay cuddled up all the time. He's not getting any. <laughs> so, from so I give him crap all the time um, about those guys and the Cayman lizards, all that stuff. Cause I just say like, I'm trying to set his expectations very low so that if we do, <laughs> if we do get eggs and heaven forbid they hatch, like he's excited, but he's not expecting chondro eggs. Um, I, I think he is, but I'm trying to get him to where he's not expecting chondro eggs. Um, those are, you know, that's a pair of snakes that Benita's had for also forever, like 15 or more years. Yeah, you told um, me they were pretty, they were up there years wise. I mean, they're not like ancient, but they're definitely older animals. Yeah, yeah. So, like a blue male, uh, aqua yeah, blue male. Dude, that, it's an awesome pair. Yeah. I, I asked him, he sent me that picture the other, the other morning. He's like, hey, what do you think of these? And I was like, Photoshop. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, he's like, no, he's like, no, man, it's real. I was like, that it's not hormonal. He goes, yeah, it's hormonal all year round <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. yeah i was gonna yeah. say man and you know i'm assuming you say chondros it's the one true chondro chondrodactylus yeah see, no. that's what I, see that's what i want to get in man marcus has one and i we gotta get more i just they're so damn expensive right now are they yeah dude it's like 800 dollars for a baby it's crazy but they're right. worth it man they're the one right. true chondro the one true chondro <laughs> yeah as soon as you know we went over there like picked up a lot of Benita's stuff because she's she's older and she wanted us to you know work with some of that stuff and 
as soon as we saw the green tree python style it was like i want those like don't don't let any don't don't send those to anyone else um you know and she's excited to see them in nice enclosures and doing their thing so yeah i mean ian Bissell has a pair that he you know they lock up constantly and he's he's never i don't think he's ever gotten the eggs from them. like they lock up all the time it's almost recreational you know they just nothing ever comes of it he's, he's like whatever he just leaves them together and they do their thing tyler needs to hear you say that <laughs> he does do you, do you think tyler would be upset if i shared that picture no no definitely not all right. okay hold on because this is like it's just too freaking cool well it's, it's wild not... that it's the male that's like that too yeah exactly normally you would expect that from the female but i saw the picture i was like that that's totally oh, yeah. a male like ridiculous yeah, no, Ridiculous. it is definitely a male. And like, you know, I've had eyes on that animal five days a week for the last year and a half. Like it is blue every single day. It doesn't change. And it's not like sometimes a green blue. Like now it is blue all the time. Oh, and like yeah, even the, dude in the spots, the white spots are just so perfect. You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, incredible. Yeah, it's a stunning snake. I mean, even the female, man, like those are both just, that's a killer yeah. pair. Like what those two will produce when they do. Yeah, dude, all this blue that's in here, yeah. like at first you think, okay, it's just reflecting off the male, but no, man, that's her. Yeah, you can it is see her. some of it up in here too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and oh, she's got a little bit on her dorsal too, some blue. Yeah, it, like if you really focus, it's going to be hard for the people watching this on YouTube later on, but like. There's just so much blue just in here that the camera's just not picking up. Yeah. Awesome. Now it'd be really cool to reproduce those guys, but it's just, yeah, if it happens, it happens. And um, if not, yeah, we enjoy seeing them in the office. Yeah. Fingers crossed, man. Yeah. Well, we're at 215 and change. Um, if anybody wants to stay in the loop as far as what you and Tyler are doing, where can they do this? So, um, our collaborative efforts are Ratty Kudu Reptiles. Um, I'm at the Conexus Cooperative. So, that's at Conexus Co op or Conexus Coop on Instagram, Facebook. Um, the Conexus Cooperative is my website. So, the Conexus Cooperative.com. Um, as far as Tyler's hinchback stuff, it's at Tortuga Fontana. Um, <laughs> it always makes me laugh. Always I gets know. me every time. I think that's intentional. It's the most yeah, Tyler. Then, it, like there's, there's, it fits yeah. so well for his personality. It's like, that's exactly. It does. It does. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And then, um, yeah, the Kinexus working group, honestly, out of anything else, that's the place that folks ought to go. Um, like if they've got questions, a lone animal, if, you know, they want to get into hingeback tortoises or just learn, um, it's the Kinexus working group because that's five of us who, you know, can help get back to you with questions and, um, you know, help find those animals. Usually people will do like a little intake survey and... Um, you know, if they're looking for, a, if they're looking for a species, um, we can help them find it. Your mic is fuzzy again, Phil. That's why I muted you real quick. 
your XLR cable's dying or something. <laughs> ah. There you go. How about now? You got it. Sorry, guys. Money. You're good. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. But, but the most important question of the evening, now that my microphone is working, the most important question of the evening, when are we going to get some TWD, TWG t-shirts? So, yeah, some working group. Um, so we made six shirts for Daytona, and we have yet to do a run of shirts, but it's it, it'll happen this year for sure. All right, um, good. It we, better. We probably won't do them on like the crazy weird teal color that we did them on. That's um, fine. I, I want the sure. first. I want the first one that's for civilian sale. Okay, sweet. I appreciate the support. Yeah, man. Hell yeah. Yeah, we may do a. You know the Connexus breeding sticker on a shirt. Yeah, um, we may do that too. So we'll hell see. yeah, yeah. But yeah, no a working group sticker or a working group shirt definitely needs to happen. Cool man, good stuff. Yeah, you make one for the co-op. You make one for the group. You make one with the the two Connexus, and I'll I'll get all three of them. Yeah, oh, of course. Sweet. You know, what? I gotta I gotta get the whole set for my mom too. So yeah, <laughs> didn't you give that sticker to your mom? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah. So when I when I got the shirts from 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 Jay, uh, I was like, yeah, I got two because one for me, one for my mom, and then he gave me a bunch of stickers, and I gave all, my mom all the stickers, and she was just she loves that stuff. So nice, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, we really appreciate you coming on, man. It's a good show. Yeah, great show, man. Great show. Covered so much stuff. We did love we it. Got a lot in there. Uh, this show, this episode was brought to you by Puget Sound Pythons. Check them out on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. Uh, and then blackboxcages.com. Please hit them up if you need a rack, you need a cage. They make a size for just about anything you need. Uh, you don't get much better as far as build quality than you do with Black Box. So check them out on Facebook and Instagram as well and blackboxcages.com. We will see everyone thursday we're doing our monthly one-on-one me and jake so nice and then uh we have a conjurecast episode lined up i I, i'll leave it at that that's gonna happen the 10th 10th or the 13th i think the 13th actually whatever that thursday is um so that's gonna happen and uh yeah we're gonna have to get another corn stars episode figured out too i know i've talked to to Chris about doing one. So we just got to schedule that and make it happen. So nice. Staying busy as always. Good. Good. The, uh, uh, episode two of venom exchange radio with myself and the fabulous nipper Reed will be airing Sunday. Yes. So episode two, we have our first live human guest. And, uh, for those of you who are actually listening to this show, I will give you the, the teaser. It is the one and only Mr. Kyle, the club King. Hey, so, uh, episode two, venom exchange radio, Google, Spotify, Apple, all the places that you listen to us already. Venom exchange radio, venom exchange radio, venom exchange radio. Go check it out. Thank you very I much. I bet you nipper lost his mind for that one, man. Dude, it was so into it. I'm like, I talked to I talked to Kyle before the show, and I was like, "Hey, man, you know, you, me, and Justin covered a lot on that one THP episode, but we want to talk more like the field herping aspect and stuff." And 
Nipper had a, a list to talk about. <laughs> and dude, we barely scratched the surface. So we got to have him on again just because we, we talked field herping and captive breeding and you know, Nipper's obsessed with Willardi, and I can't, I don't even know how many, how many individual animals Kyle has that he's produced himself. So, mm -hmm. and then once Nipper found out that Kyle's got, you know, Vipera species, pff, yeah, yeah, that was it. It was, was over. Oh, over. you, you breed Kaznakovi? Okay, change the topic. Yep. <laughs> so it's a great show. Hopefully everyone likes it. Venom Exchange Radio, I'll say it for the umpteenth time. Sunday, it'll come out Sunday. I don't know Sunday, if it's going to, Sunday, 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 Sunday. I don't know if it'll be Sunday actual sunday because google and apple suck with uploading stuff but it should be on spotify on sunday free slim gyms for the kids oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, the dude thank you again brother yeah. thanks for having me thank you it's a lot of fun appreciate you guys everyone have a good evening Bye.